0: Well, Philip Lowe hasn't held back with the RBA cutting rates and picking up the pace on bond buying. So why? And how is the market taking it? Well, there's a positive mood as America goes to the polls. Record numbers have voted already. So will it be a clear lead for Biden or will something else happen? Three things not going anywhere today. Brexit, attempts to control COVID, and the Ant group listing in China and Hong Kong. It's Wednesday, the 4th of November 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Incidentally, never turned to me to for Melbourne Cup advice. I couldn't have got it more wrong yesterday. But uh, they are off and running in the US election, of course, the race that stops the planet, it seems. We've got big falls in the US dollar, uh, down more than half a percent, with big increases in equities. Donald Trump, I actually say, that's because he's going to win, the, the fact that equities are on the rise. But he probably it couldn't be further from the truth on that. Anyway, the uh, the Dow is at 1.7%. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 both are around 1.5% up. They've all wound back from uh, quite a bit. Uh, from earlier in the session, big rises in Europe too, with the Euro stocks 50 up 2.6%. That's the sort of magnitude we were seeing in the U.S. earlier on. All this alongside a broad bond sell-off: three basis points added to 10-year uh, Treasury yields, and five added to UK 10-year gilt yields. Bonds going the other way in Australia, though. More on that in a moment. The Aussie dollar has leapt up 1.4% as well. The pound is up 0.9%. The euro up half a percent this morning, and a big leap in oil prices today. Again, W up 2.6%, but that just takes it back to where it was last Wednesday. Now, it is Wednesday. It's obviously the day that America votes. Well, actually, yesterday was the day that America votes. Today's the day we find out about it. Way too early to make a call on that just yet, but we do know what the RBA has done, so let's talk about that first of all with Tapas Strickland, Direct Economics for Markets at NAB in Sydney. Uh, We know what they've done. The cash rate down to 0.1%. That's also the target for three-year bond yields and $100 billion Aussie dollars in five to 10 year government bond yields over the next six months. So, is that more than was expected? And uh, what's the impact? Going to be on all of this, or, or maybe a better question is uh, what are they hoping for and are they going to achieve it? Uh,
1: good, morning, good morning, Phil. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty exciting RBA meeting yesterday. And you'll have to say, most of those uh, things that came out of that meeting was broadly expected by markets. Uh, markets going into that meeting were expecting a QE program in the order of 100 to 200 billion. And most people were looking for that uh, bond buying program to occur over a period of 12 months. Uh, so, what the RBA announced was a QE program of 100 billion over six months and willingness to do more if if needed. So uh, no real big surprise uh, to markets in that respect. And it's interesting just looking at market reaction. What you did see is uh, yields uh, dropped by around uh, four basis points immediately after, but they have crept up a little bit higher just given the uh, bond uh, sell-off that we have seen um, overnight. And the Aussie, uh, it did tick slightly lower, but was really not that moved on the RBA, but has surged overnight up 1.6%. And I think it just illustrates the fact that uh, the RBA felt that it needed to match uh, the, mon- the the quantitative easing by other central banks in order to put downward pressure on the Australian dollar. Uh, and um, it just highlights that if everyone else is doing it, um, then it's unlikely to have much impact on the Australian dollar itself, especially when markets were already well-priced, uh, the outcome that was and announced. E-
0: and is everyone else going to do it? I mean, we've got the Bank of England just around the corner, the, the Fed. Are we going to see interest rates getting lower? From, from them, and, uh, and and surely that is just going to – we're going to keep seeing this pushing asset prices, aren't we, particularly housing and, and shares, if we, if we if we stick at this level and, and it keeps getting lower?
1: Uh, yes, and indeed, when you look at central banks right around the world, uh, you'd have to say the ECB was probably the first uh, to move in the recent uh, second round of stimulus uh, that central banks look like they're going to un- unleash again, um, signaling that they're going to ease mm policy further in December. The RBA obviously acted yesterday. Uh, The Bank of England and the uh, Fed meet on Thursday and uh, expectations are that the BOE will uh, launch an extended uh, QE program, especially just given the headwinds coming from the second lockdown and greater risk towards a W-shaped recovery. Uh, The Fed has previously signalled that it could do more if necessary, and a few Fed officials have noted that they could also tweak their bond-buying program to put downward pressure on uh, longer-term yields, and in that context, it's just worth noting, uh, global yields overnight uh, rose uh, by around uh, three to four basis points. Um, the other issue for Australia, and um, this is probably worth highlighting, is uh, that um under the RBA's current forecasts, uh, those forecasts include uh, the current policy package that was announced uh, yesterday, and those forecasts still see unemployment uh, only falling to six percent by the end of 2022, and uh, core inflation still remains mm-hmm. below the RBA's two to three percent target band at one and a half percent. So the risk is that the RBA uh, would need to do more, and then the question is, what could the RBA do? Uh, Dr Lowe gave a speech uh, last night illustrating yep. what they could do, and he basically ruled out negative rates again. Uh, he uh, also um, pushed. Back on exchange rate interventions. That just puts it back towards our QE to be the main easing instrument for the RBA going forward.
0: Well, there's, I mean, but there's lots, lots of areas where they can't do anything. You can't do anything about jobs in international tourism or in the education sector that are going to continue to be hit hard until until this virus has been uh, solved and, uh, and international borders are reopened. So, I mean, they're forecasting, they've upped their forecast, haven't they? Economic growth of 4 to 6% by the middle of next year. But, I mean, we, we, we obviously are not, we're still going to see this big sectoral shift happening.
1: Uh, Indeed, and hopefully we'll get a little bit more light in terms of those big sectoral shifts in the uh, payrolls data that we receive later today. And we had been noting that while payrolls have uh, almost pretty much fully recovered their lows in Western Australia, there are some fairly sizable sectoral shifts occurring with uh, jobs still well below in uh, accommodation, tourism and in the agricultural space.
0: Now, if you were President Trump out campaigning, you'd be quite right to talk about the perhaps the underlying strength of the U.S. economy and how it's bouncing back. We talked about the ISM manufacturing PMI yesterday up to 59.3, which was well above expectations. Then overnight, we had the New York ISM from 56.1 up to 65.1, plus factory orders growing quite a bit too as well. So despite the fact that, you know, they really are struggling with COVID-19… The U.S. economy is is still holding up reasonably well.
1: Uh, yes, it does seem like that, and I think it is illustrative of the fact that people are starting to ad- adapt to to this virus, uh, and where uh, hospitals aren't overwhelmed, or at least uh, where there's less willingness to implement stricter lockdowns uh, at the risk of um, hospitals being overwhelmed, economic activity can continue to. Re- recover and uh, that's part of the reason why uh, a a renewed growth divergence is likely to to re-emerge between Europe and the US with Europe uh, going more into lockdown until at least early December and uh, the US at this stage at least uh, staying open
0: Right, well look we'll come back to COVID-19 in a second but obviously one news story which is uh, overshadowing it just for one day uh, is the US election 270 electoral votes needed obviously and look we're not expecting Trump to win but just imagine he won on the night we've still got obviously that uh, the the, the postal votes to count, which could bring in that blue shift. But what if Trump claims victory early on? I mean, there's some speculation he might do that, uh, which could could unnerve the markets. I mean, anything could happen, couldn't it, in the next 24 hours?
1: Oh, in, in, Indeed. what uh, its worth markets look like they're trading with the view that Biden uh, will be uh, president um, after today. And they're also trading with a slight view that the Democrats uh, will gain a, a slight Senate majority. Uh, if both of those outcomes uh, occur, um, you could see a further rally in risk, particularly if the Democrats do get a Senate majority that would herald in um, much higher fiscal spending and a steeper yield curve. And on the back of that, um, equity markets are up quite sharply, S&P 500 up by around 1.8%, and financials in particular are up 2.4% on a steeper yield curve. Uh, but in terms of um, what could occur tonight, as you're saying, um, you could see some swing towards uh, Trump in later stage um, in-person polling. But I think there are about 100 million um, pre-polls had that have been cast and about 64.7 million of those were actually in mail-in ballots and uh, what we do know is that in many states in the u.s is going to take a number of days to count those mail-in ballots and verify those ballots as well Uh, so um, it it could be that there is no clear winner uh, tonight and that we may have to wait a number of days before we get a greater assurance in terms of whether there is a winner or not
0: Right. Now, given whoever wins, whether it's a a Biden win, which is sort of expected, or a Trump win that could see quite a a big reaction. Is there a danger that, irrespective of who it is, the markets are going to overreact, given that, you know, even though it's important who runs America, there is a bigger story which is impacting every economy around the world. It just seems to be getting worse. So deaths in England and Wales are up 46% in a week, for example. There's now a a ban on movement about to be uh, coming in Italy. New restrictions in the Netherlands too from today. Uh, Hungary from tonight. Toronto from the middle of the month. Every single day we hear about new lockdowns, increasing numbers, and it's just the start of the, well, it's not even the northern winter yet.
1: Uh, Indeed, and I think that's where a contested election uh, probably has the greatest uh, risk for markets, uh, in the sense that it's likely to create, uh, even though the Congress will be in a lame duck session, it's likely to create increasing gridlock uh, between November and January, with very little ability to respond uh, to the uh, virus crisis and to any shifts in the US economy. So that's probably the biggest uh, risk scenario there. If uh, Trump were to be elected, um, it's it's unclear exactly how markets would react and would be really dependent on what his uh, speech was. If you recall, uh, after the last twenty-six election, uh, Trump came out quite conciliatory and talking about a lot of infrastructure spending, and that did see markets rally uh, in the wake of that. Um, and then, if, uh, if if Biden were to win, I think it's very much contingent on whether there's a Senate majority. Uh, if there's a Senate majority, then you could see a further sell-off in the bond market. But if Biden wins and there's no Senate majority uh, for the Democrats, then uh, you could see some reversal of the of those moves in bonds.
0: Right. Uh, look, the FT reporting today that an EU is official has said that they are taking a break. On Brexit, uh, until the weekend at least, they've still difficult areas of disagreement, uh, and uh, yeah, they're exhausted apparently uh, without making much headway. Uh, but look, talking of international trade, uh, the uh, well, I want to talk about China and, uh, and and Australia, but also the Ant Group that uh, was supposed to, of course, be the world's largest IPO, thirty seven billion dollars worth with a dual listing in China and Hong Kong, the a massive fintech company. Uh, there's new rules on capital requirements in, in China. We're not really quite sure the, the full story here, but normally this would be a very big story, but there's so much going on today. And then on top of all of that, we've got that relationship, we talked about this yesterday, uh, between China and Australia. A lot is expected to be barred from Australia from Friday. More reports on that overnight.
1: Yes, I think it's symptomatic of the deterioration in the Australia-China relationship. But again, still very unclear exactly what that means in terms of exports to China. When you look at meat exports, um, that did have uh, some restrictions in terms of uh, abattoirs. You've still seen uh, beef imports at a fairly healthy level uh, in, into China. So uh, still remains to be seen exactly what that means for Australian exporters there, but the headlines do not look pretty. Mm. Um, for what it's worth though, uh, markets are taking a pretty sanguine approach there, and the Aussie is one of the best performing currencies um, o- o- overnight, even uh, with that Australia-China trade story, and even with the RBA easing. Now today, uh,
0: employment numbers for New Zealand out very soon. The uh, Australia Industry Group Construction Index also out very soon. We get market PMI numbers for much of Europe. We get the final read on Aussie retail sales just before lunch, and Australian payrolls you've already mentioned, the Caging Services PMI today as well. Non-manufacturing ISM for the US to, to tomorrow morning, uh, even though there's the, the election going on, there's quite a few numbers out over the next 24 hours as well.
1: Uh, definitely, and we'll be looking quite closely at the payrolls data for Australia, especially looking at payrolls outside of Victoria just given the uh, tapering of JobKeeper and whether there's any impact on hiring in the labour market. Uh, Seek did report job ads last week and noted that the level of job ads is now uh, back to about 90% of pre-pandemic levels with our job ads actually higher in uh, five states and territories than uh, pre-pandemic levels. So it does suggest maybe there hasn't been too much of an impact from the tapering of JobKeeper, but we'll have to wait for payrolls to see.
0: Right. Okay. And look, we've got a busy one tomorrow as well, because as well as talking about the election results, there's also the Bank of England coming up and, of course, non-farm payrolls from the US at the end of the week as well. Never a dull moment. Good to talk, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. So it should be an interesting one tomorrow morning. Gavin Friend will be joining me bright and early from NAB in London. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you tomorrow.